kidding. So we're in uh, week seven or something. We're going to just stop saying week whatever on Sermon on the Mount because we're going through it this year and um, in a deeper type of way. And so we're in, uh, I think it's week seven on Sermon on the Mount, and we're in the Beatitudes. Now, the interesting thing about the Beatitudes is that it, people read it um, in very funny ways. And let me give you an example of what I mean. I don't know why this microphone stands bothering me, but it is. Because um, I walk right here. It's in, it's in my path of moving. Um, people look at the Beatitudes and see this as a list of things to achieve. One day, if I'm good enough, I could actually get to being pure in heart or meek or, or uh, spiritually bankrupt or, or poor in spirit or one day um, I could actually uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if I just try hard enough, I could actually get there. And, and I think we have a tendency to read the Bible that way in a lot of times because that's a very human way to look at Scripture. To say, okay, what is it trying to tell me? What am I, what am I trying to do? And if I just mimic these actions, then I will, you know, um, eventually get there and I'll get into heaven and do all that. And actually, that's the people who Jesus was condemning, the Pharisees, that's really what they were teaching at the time. And so this is an entirely different set, a different way to look at um, the Beatitudes. It's almost this little mini rebellion against religion at the time because religion at the time, we have to understand the word religion, it, it really meant man's efforts to get close to God. Man's efforts to get close to God. But Jesus actually came. God was with us. And so man didn't make any effort there to get close to God. God made the effort to get close to us. And so when it says that, that and when people use the cliche, you know, you, you've heard the cliche, oh, Christianity isn't a re- religious relationship, right? You've heard that cliche? It's totally true, except for it's cliche, um, which is annoying for me because I don't like saying cliche things. But... Um, Essentially, the idea is that when, when you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus, the Beatitudes are who you become, the virtues that you take from your relationship with Jesus. Now, it would be great if you surrendered your life to Jesus, and then all of a sudden, boom, you were merciful. But you know what? If you weren't a merciful person before, sometimes it takes some growing into mercy. Um, I, just a quick example. Now, some of you are going to be shocked. So don't be too shocked. Just drop your draws now. When I was like 15, I came to Jesus. And when I was 16 I, is when I decided to clean up my language. Because I just didn't know any better. You know, I had terrible language. Probably because every other high schooler said bad words. And so I was like, yeah, I want to fit in with other every high schooler. And so I'm going to say bad words too. And so I, I used profanity a lot. I was trying to look cool. And actually, one of the reasons, one of the um, ways that helped me is this girl that I had a crush on said that's not very attractive and pff, stopped it right there. But, <laughs> ladies, what you say has a profound impact on men. You should know that. <laughs> but um, the whole idea is that over time, God transitions people. God transforms people. For some people, it's just instant. It just happens. And God, and, but for some other people, we're stuck in ways of behavior and ways of life. And we have things that happen in the back of our mind or responses that we have that are knee-jerk responses that are from childhood. And it takes a long time to, to, for, for God to totally transform us. 
Because some of it is how much we actually submit to God, and some of it is um, just that we've got these bad habits that, that God wants to change. And so what I'm saying here is that this isn't just this list where it's like, um, if you're not doing this, then you're going to hell. That's not what this is. What this simply is, is God saying, as you grow in relationship with me, this is the person that, this is what you'll look like. This is what I'm molding you to be in my kingdom. So it's really important that we begin to take a look at these deeper and understand what it is they mean. So that we can begin to, to, I mean, one of it is God's transforming us, and the other part is us doing some things about that. And I want to talk about that a little bit later. But let's flip open to it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And and so you do some Greek studies on this, and you, you look at pure in heart, and, and I know I've done this joke before, but you know what it means? Pure in heart. It means exactly what it says. Blessed are the pure in heart. Not impure, but pure in heart. So flip with me. We're going to go on this little Bible journey, and we're going to weave some things together today. And so hopefully it'll all just match up at the end. And I like doing that, weaving a bunch of stuff together. So flip with me to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And if you've got your iPad or whatever, it's, um, it's on the Bible app, and it should also be on the screens. But... By the way, just say, if it's on, your, it's on the screens, that's no excuse for uh, not bringing a Bible because you should be in Sunday school. All right. Just thought, amen. <laughs> not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great Boasts. Consider what great for what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a word of evil um, among the parts of the body, and it corrupts the whole person. Sets the course of his life on fire, and itself set. I mean, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord the Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both... Fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. So James is trying to make this point that out of this tongue, this mouth, what we say can, can actually give life or take it. It could corrupt the whole body. And actually, Jesus makes this point later on. What we're going to see is the tongue kind of reveals what's in our heart. But Jesus makes this other point, I mean, I'm sorry, James 
the brother of Jesus makes this other point. He says, out of the same mouth, we praise God and we curse men. Out of that same mouth. Now, I know nobody here just engaged in worship and cursed somebody earlier this week, right? Nobody here, I'm sure. Right? I mean, we do this all the time. That guy's an idiot. That guy's a moron. Right? I mean, that's just a nicer way to curse somebody, isn't it? I got isn't that much between the ears. I mean, it's just a nicer way to curse somebody. And don't we do this all the time? And James just points this out to us. He's like, hey, you do this all the time. You curse people and you praise God. Is that a consistent lifestyle? Nope. <laughs> Would the world come in and, and see some people in here? I remember this was a problem in high school going to church and you see some people um, who you know that they're at high school with you, and then you also know that they're at church, and you see them, and you go, they're faking it, right? I remember, and again, I'm going to just shoot myself in the foot here, but I'm going to say it anyways for the glory of God. I was with high school students one time, and we almost got in a car accident. We had somebody cut us off, and I had to slam on the brakes, and um, a word flew out of my mouth. Not because I wanted it to, but it just, you know, it's this isn't a total bad excuse, but it just did. And I was like, oh, and, you know, it was like my first year of being a youth pastor. And it was like, so every point on from when I saw these kids, one of the things that they asked me is, are you faking it? I remember when he said, remember when we almost got hit by a car, what came out of your mouth? And I was like, ooh, yeah, I do. First year, I mean, Matt's probably feeling really good about himself right now. He's like, Phew. I'm a great youth pastor compared to that guy. Um, <laughs> but they look at, the, the kids look at you, and by the words you say, they just ask you the, the straight-up question, are you just faking this? And that is the question that, that, that just begs to be asked when you talk out of both sides of your mouth. Because it actually reveals the deeper, innermost parts of your heart. And so when somebody says, hey, are you just faking this whole thing? That's a tough question. But they're doing it based on things that we've said. With the understanding that those words flowed from a deeper place in the heart. Flip with me to Matthew chapter 12, verses uh, 33 through 37. Maybe it's just that we've all made the transition so well to the Bible app, but I'm just hearing so little amount of flipping. Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37, Jesus says, um, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks. The good man brings out good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings out evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Ouch! Jesus, seriously? You're going to throw that bomb in the Bible? (laughs) That hurts, right? Let me read that again. Make it hurt a little more. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. By your words you'll be acquitted, by your words you'll be acquitted and condemned. I mean, and Jesus is talking to Pharisees here. 
who were giving Jesus a hard time because some of the healing that he was doing. And he said, oh, maybe Jesus is healing because of Satan by Beelzebub. And the only other way you know that word is if you read the Bible a lot or if you're a big Queen fan. So Jesus, Jesus is healing by Beelzebub. And, and Jesus says, how can a house stand divided? How can Satan drive out Satan? And he's making this argument. And he says, hey, you brought a viper's. You guys, look what you do with your lives. By your words, you'll be acquitted. By your words, you'll be condemned. And he's saying, you know, you know a tree by its fruit. And these religious people looked so good. They looked so religious. I mean, like clasterses, I can't say that word still. And then they had their prayer shawls and the giant flowing robes. I mean, they looked so good and religious. I mean, they would... They would they would be like these models of people how to dress after and how to look like you're a religious person. People would look at them and think, wow, that guy's religious. But Jesus is saying, and he even said in the, in the, in the woes that he gave Pharisees, um, do what they say, but don't do what they do. How many times have your parents ever said that to you, by the way? Anyways, do what I say, not as I do. Parents say that when they've realized they just screwed up. Um... So Jesus is saying, I know who you are because of your words and your actions. And you know what the interesting thing about all this is? Is that modern technology has actually proven Jesus and James right. Um, Because over the last hundred years, there's been a tremendous amount of research on the brain. And one of the things that um, brain scientists have researched is that your knee-jerk reactions come out of something called your subconscious, which is actually in the back of your head. So you say, I don't know why I've got this in the back of my head. It's actually back there. Um, It comes out of your subconscious, which is an idea formed between ages one to seven. And so when you're starting to like do these knee-jerk reactions that might be bad, it might have been something that was formed a long time ago in you. And so when Jesus says, good will come out of good stored up and evil will come out of evil stored up, I mean, he's making this point that this is deep down within you. And it's very interesting to me that scientists have actually just figured out it. Yeah, that's actually all true. All right, one more big verse, and then we're going to um, try and pull all these things together. Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20. I know 20 verses. Some of you didn't read this much Bible this week. Good thing you came to church, right? Get all your Bible reading in. That's a joke. Read your Bible at home. This will never fill you up enough Sunday. It's meant to engage you for the rest of the week. Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father and mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me as a gift devoted to God, he is not uh, to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings um, are but rules taught by men. Let me pause right there so you understand what's happening. So Jesus is criticizing these Pharisees because what the Pharisees would do, instead of honoring your father and mother, which many religious Jewish people said at the time was the greatest commandment. So when you ask what's the greatest commandment, many of them would have answered, honor your father and mother. One of the ways they got around that was by saying, this gift that I have is devoted to God. 
So I'm giving a gift in your name to the church, basically. Um, I am giving your gift for you, so you don't have to give it. It's almost like a gift in kind. And what Jesus is saying is, you've already given 10%. Give, give your 10%. Go support your mother and father, because that is truly honoring your father and mother. Don't make laws and loopholes to get around what God is actually calling you to do. Because God is calling you to support your father and mother because, because the Bible says honor your father and mother and, and, um, and, and God is calling them to do that. Don't nullify that. Don't create all these loopholes and walk around it because they're simply saying, oh, this silver cup, this is uh, devoted, this would have gone to support my parents, but this would be um, uh, devoted to, to, to worship, uh, sanctuary worship or uh, temple worship. And they would give it to the temple. And what Jesus is saying is you're not supporting your parents. You're nowhere close to that. Yeah, give your 10%, give your tithe, but support your father and your mother. And so he is basically saying uh, what Isaiah said, you're, you're, uh, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Because a way to honor God is honoring your father and mother. Moving on. Kids, did you hear that? Anyways, I'm totally joking. Poke, i I used to be youth pastor, so I'd poke at the kids. Anyways, verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? I love that question. Do you know they were offended? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, they will both fall into a pit. Peter said, explain this parable to us. And then this is another great line of Jesus. Are you so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean for the out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, thieves, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. So there was this ritual purity of washing three times, showing them to another person and showing that you were clean in order to eat. And what Jesus is saying is that's not what makes you clean, having washed hands. Yeah, that's nice. It stops bacteria spread on food. They didn't know that at the time, but it actually helped. It stops all that, but that's not what makes you clean. Jesus is saying your lifestyle and your words scream what your heart is doing. Scream what's going on inside your head. I always find it interesting that I could sit, you know, you could sit down and meet with people, a couple or whoever, and know exactly what's going on in their lives by the words that they say and by the actions that they have and the things that are going on in their lives. Some people fake it real good, but you could typically know what's going on. Because out of the overflow of the heart, I mean, it really is true. The mouth speaks, and your actions begin to reveal it. So in our words, in our actions, the other thing that happens here is what James talked about. We begin to worship God when our lifestyle is inconsistent with what we believe. So out of one side of our mouth, we're beginning to praise God. And on the other side of the mouth, we're cursing people. And altogether, we're living an inconsistent lifestyle, which makes you what? Crazy. It begins 
to make you crazy. So in our words, in our actions, we are absolutely revealed by these two things in our lives. It's funny that we try walking around with masks on in our lives, but we're, what we're really like showing everything to people by the words that we say, and we're really showing everything to people by the actions that we have, how we respond to situations, and the way that we walk through life. It's almost impossible to hide what you really think and what you really believe and what you're really devoted to because of the words that we begin to say. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. One of the reasons why I bring this verse and the next verse up is because sometimes if you're not pleased with the words that are coming out, sometimes it's just helpful to pray through these kinds of things and say, Jesus, you need to help and change and inform me. Proverbs 4, 24, put away perverse, perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's two things going on here. One, I think Jesus is talking about integrity. You know, the, the, what, who you are when no one's watching, what you do when no one's watching, the response that you have. If I was to, to, to die and they were going to put, you know, they're like, all right, we only have enough money for one word on your tombstone. What do you want? I'd want it to say integrity. Because I want to be a person that, that follows up what I believe with correct action. I want to be that person who's, who's um, in, in all circumstances, I'm trustworthy and, and um, truthful. That's simply what I want to be. And what that leads us to is more pure and pure in heart. And we're going to get there in a minute and talk about what that means. Um, the other idea here that Jesus is talking about, especially with the Pharisees, is duplicity. Living a duplicitous life. In other words, faking it. Live, looking one way and acting another Saying you believe one thing, but totally doing another thing. And we have a tendency as human beings to do this because I, I think we have this natural bent to appease people and not to offend people and to be politically correct with people. I watched this great speech this week where this doctor was talking and he was talking about the, the dangers of uh, political correctness. I don't know if any of you saw that. Um, it was on YouTube. So there's only, what, 15 billion videos on there? Maybe you saw it. Um, he talks about the dangers of being politically correct in, in, in a democracy. And he says, if we don't ever offend anybody, if we don't really what we really believe, then we're actually not practicing free speech. And I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. This takes us all to Psalm 24, verses 1 through 4. And then we're going to uh, begin to end this and weave it all together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. It's interesting to me that connected along the lines of pure heart are these different threads of what it is we say. Because what it is we say actually comes out of the heart. What it is we do, because what it is we do actually reveals our heart as well. And who it is we worship. Because who it is we worship forms us. I mean, l listen to what the psalmist says, what David says. He says, um, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his hand to, 
to, or lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. That's, that means worshiping something else. And I think that, that in our worship, our worship reveals who we are. If we worship comfort, what will our life always be about? Being comfortable, right? If we worship physical appearance, what would our life always be about? Looking good. By the way, I don't worship physical appearance. I just naturally bolt. I don't, no steroids. I know you guys all can't believe it. Sorry, we were having a serious moment. Let's go back to our serious moment. If you worship appearance, what will you, your life will always be about your appearance, right? If you worship material items, what will your life always be about? Stuff. If you worship people, your life will always be about other people. If you worship money, what's your life going to be about? Money. I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on. If you worship cars, your life will be about cars. If you worship Jesus, what's your life always going to be about? Jesus. I find it very interesting to me um, that in Hebrews 12, 14, it it says this, and you don't have this on the screens because I just threw this in this morning. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. And then it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then Jesus, Jesus before that said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then in Psalm 24, it says, those with uh, clean hands and a pure heart will ascend to the mountain of the Lord. So somehow this whole idea of having a pure heart means that you get to see God. But the Bible says no one's ever seen God. So how do we get around, what is he talking about here? How do we get around all of this? What is holiness? There's a ton of definitions out there. But holiness is essentially the capacity in which you surrender yourself to God. How much do you surrender yourself to God? It tends to be a longer process, but for me, I realize it's something that as I, as I grow older, I, you, real, you begin to realize, oh, wow, I was holding out on God with this area, and I, I got to surrender that to God. And as you, I think as you get older, you either get stiffer in some areas or you get more surrendered in some other areas. And I, and I really do believe holiness is, is the capacity in which we surrender our lives to God. And as you begin to surrender everything over, once your whole life is surrendered to Him, guess what your life is now organized around? Jesus right? It's very difficult to be holy when your life is organized around sin. It's just the truth. For me, when I stopped um, using foul language in high school, I found that I had to be around different people or else I'd slip back into it. Not that I didn't love those folks, but I just needed to be around some other folks in order to use correct language. So that's one of the things that I found. So where am I here? Um, Some of us, it just takes a longer process to say, oh God, here's my stuff. Here's my junk. I want to be wholly surrendered to you. But that's what holiness looks like, is wholly surrendering to God. Our whole selves, our whole lives, our whole families, turning that over to God. And you know what the greatest thing about God is? Is that he didn't leave us high and dry. A lot of people think, oh God, he's just up and left. But you know what God left us? Is this incredible 
revelation of himself through Scripture. And if you want to surround your life around God a little bit more, I've got a really easy prescription for you. He wants to tell you all about himself. He wants you to dig into him. He wants, when you, the Bible says, when you seek him with all of your heart, I will be found by you. That's what the Bible says. Not, oh, he'll be found. When you, God said to, to uh, his people through the prophet Jeremiah, when you search me and search me with all of your heart, I will be found. In other words, I'll allow myself to be seen by you. And, you know, if we were just to take a, a spectrum of evil and purity or impure and pure, God wants us to move towards purity. And sometimes that means surrendering some parts of our lives to God that are tough, that are really tough. And I think that's what God wants us to do in order to have a pure heart. And then the Bible says that we'll actually see God. And what I think that they're talking about there is once we begin to surrender our lives, once we begin to live holy lives organized around Jesus, that focus will become clear. If you take pictures and you know manual focus versus auto, auto just gets you right there. But sometimes you've got to do manual focus. Or if you've ever done binoculars and you've got to focus it in, I think we'll begin to see what God is doing all around us. Because your heart is centered on the, on the heart of God. And so you'll begin to see what it is God is doing. There's this guy named Dallas Willard who I just love reading his stuff. He challenges the snot out of me. And one of the things that he says is, you will only be as holy as you intend to be. Let me throw that at you one more time. You will only be as holy as you intend to be. If you need to write that in the margin of your Bible somewhere or on your hand or on your forehead, write that down. You will only be as holy as you intend to be. And what does that mean? How do we organize our lives? What are the words that are coming out? Sometimes it means, um, I mean, we've got a lot of stuff in there that's just junk back in the back of our brains. We've been through a lot in lives. Sometimes it means just reprogramming the brain and focusing on what Je- in who Jesus is and what Jesus wants us to be. So I think as you grow in your relationship with God, life becomes more in focus. And you begin to see God working all around you. So blessed are the pure heart, for they will see God. Let's pray. If you just bow your head and close your eyes with me. There's some folks here today who simply need to say, God, my heart is unclean. My heart is impure. There's just so much stuff from the past I don't even know how to deal with. I believe that God wants you to surrender that to him right now. Whether it's starting a new relationship with Jesus, maybe you've never met Jesus before in your entire life, and right now is the moment in which you want to do that. I believe the process of having a pure heart starts with surrendering your life to Jesus. And maybe there's some of you here today who've surrendered that to Jesus, but you just know that there's areas of your life in which you're holding back. I just want to invite you right now to surrender that over to him. I'm simple as saying, God, here's my heart. Take it and make it yours. God, take my heart and make it clean. Make me new again. It can be as simple as that. So if that's you, we want to encourage you to fill out your bulletin and let us know that you did that and throw it in the offering because we'd love to follow up with you on that. Let's pray.
Jesus. We recognize that the words that come out of our heart, the words that come out of our mouth, sometimes curse your creation. And yet we're led into worship because you are worthy. Lord, if there's anybody here who just needs to repent right now, I pray that that would happen so that we would have this pure, undefiled time of worship before you. God, we recognize what we say affects how we worship. God, we recognize the condition of our heart affects our witness. So God, give us pure hearts. Give us clean hands. Let us not lift our soul to another. God, we love you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.